0: Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is God Came Near by Pastor Sean Wood. Uh, If you've got your Bibles this morning, uh, I'll ask you to meet me in John chapter 1. This morning I want to share the story of when God came near. And uh, the first chapter of John, I feel, captures Christmas wonderfully. The, uh, John the Apostle, a uh, little bit of context as we move into this passage. John the disciple starts following Jesus at probably the age of 12. Um, I don't know what you were doing at 12, but um, following some weird guy with long hair through the Middle East wasn't on my bucket list either. But John's about 12 years old when he starts following Jesus and his life is radically transformed. In just a moment's time, his life is radically transformed. And he writes his gospel now, much later than everybody else. You see, Matthew writes his gospel mostly to the Jews. And he speaks about kingdom and he references the Old Testament a lot. And and Mark, who it's strongly believed, writes his gospel uh, from the words of Peter. Uh, Mark is the one that abandoned everybody in the book of Acts, but then is useful to Paul later on. And he writes his gospel, mostly to Gentiles and Romans, exemplifying the power of Christ, exemplifying the acts of Christ. Of course, we have Luke, the historian, who who writes for Theophilus. But then John writes, some some 40, 50 years after everybody else, because there's a lot of rumours going around about Jesus. There's a lot of misunderstanding. There's a lot of false teaching. And, And John says... I want you to know the true Jesus. But before we get into anything in John's gospel, he writes what they call the prologue. The first 18 verses of the gospel of John is the prologue. And what John is doing is he says, before you read anything, I want you to know something. Everything you read in this gospel, the gospel of John, he said, I want you to look at it through the lens of Jesus as God. And today we're going to work our way very briefly uh, through these passages. I believe it was Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones that preached almost a year on these 18 verses. He, he took a break, came back every Sunday, but yeah, uh, for, for a whole year. And it's interesting because uh, back in 1995, there was an interesting lady that released a song that swept across the charts. It was a song called One of Us by a girl by the name of Joan Osborne. And it's an interesting song because in that song, she says, what if God was one of us? What, what if he was just one of the strangers on the bus? What, a, what an interesting question to ask. And I find at Christmas time, and look, dates aside, uh, was Jesus really born on December the 25th? Probably not. It doesn't fit with the Jewish calendar. The date doesn't matter. Uh, the date doesn't matter. The location, we know. But what is important? Was it 3 BC? Was it 6 BC? This is what we know. Jesus was born. That's the important part. Joan Osborne wrote, "What if God was one of us?" Two thousand years ago, I want to share with you the scriptures, of, and I want to share with you John's viewpoint this morning of when God was one of us. Blaise Pascal says, and uh, I wrote this morning about bringing the Mary back in Christmas. I think, I think in the last week I've had, I've had more middle fingers lobbed at me in the last week. I've had horns blown at me. I've had I think, what is going on here? Everybody's supposed... You walk into the supermarket and everybody's trying to run you over with trolleys and just just take a chill pill. Blaise Pascal said in the 16th century, he was a French mathematician, and he said, you know, every one of us is born with a God-shaped hole in our heart. He said, which only Jesus can fill. And we live in a culture and a society today that's trying to cram everything else in that heart. And I honestly believe that at Christmas time. There is an ache in that hole that many people, it intensifies for many people. They realise that their life has an enormous hole in it that nobody else can follow. Well, Phil, but but John says, John chapter 1 verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Sounds like Genesis 1, right? But what's going on here, is is Jesus the Bible? is Is that what John 's trying to tell us? Well, no, the word for word there in the Greek is logos and logos was a word that was extensively and quite uh, quite broadly used in the first century. you see. Uh, John's writing to a very broad and varied audience. He's not writing to just a particular audience. He's writing to a, a raft of different people from different backgrounds. And, and one of them, for example, were the Stoics, the, the Greek philosophers who obviously didn't have a day job because these guys had sit around all day talking about everything. But for the Stoics and for the philosophers of the day, they could see the divine order in the universe. They could see everything. They could see the intelligence in creation and they would talk about it. And They pondered it and they they knew that intelligence and information, there had to be a mind behind it. I think it was Vince Vitale that said the greatest evidence for the existence of God is the regularity in the universe. Why? Because every atheist says that we are here because of a blind random chance of, of just cells coming together, a planet comes together over millions of years. But that, it's interesting how that blind set of random chances that it just so happened to happen, everything is very ordered. Everything is very regular. We have the same seasons every year. For, some, for those that are in Tasmania, summer's the same three days every year. And for those in Queensland, summer's the same nine months. But have you ever noticed, atheists say that the universe just came into being out of nothing. When was the last time something just appeared out of nothing? It doesn't happen. There is somebody behind it, and the Stoics are searching for that somebody. And, and to the Stoics, John would write, I found him. Uh, Stop looking. I, I, I found him. In fact, when he walked into the, when Paul walked into the Areopagus and proclaimed this Jesus, and then he said, you know, Jesus rose from the dead, they went, whoa, hang on a second. All of the philosophers said, hang on a second, if what you're saying is true, come back and talk to us next week, because they knew that if what Paul was telling them was true, we don't need to search anymore. There are people looking for answers, just like the Stoics. John would say, I found them. Uh, if you're looking for answers here today, I, I, we found them. He, he is a person. All the answers. But there was others as well. Too. In the first century, there was a lot of people that were following a Hellenist uh, Jew by the name of Philo. And Philo writes about Logos quite extensively, and people would follow his writings. And Logos to him meant the hand of God that he saw in creation. Many people, For the Gnostics, uh, people say the Gnostics are dead and they don't apply today, but the truth is their ideas and their philosophies are alive and well. But the, but the Gnostics uh, would say that uh, the, this Logos that they were searching for is the, is the one that bridges the gap between the supernatural and the natural. John says, I found him. And to the rabbis who said that the Logos is the pre-existent Torah or the word of God, uh, John puts his hand up and says, "I, I found the one that fulfills all of this. He is the word. He's not a created being. He's not a prophet. He's not a teacher. He's much, much more than all of those things. He's so much more than a carpenter's son. There was a point in time when God stepped into all of our vulnerability and humanity. There was a point in time when God stepped down to answer all of our questions and to fill that hole in our heart. John said, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. I love verses 4 and 5. Thank you, Kate, for last Sunday night when we spoke about the light. But uh, in him was life and that life was the light of men. I love these verses. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Why do we need more churches? Why do we, whether they're, whether they're churches of 20 people or whether they're churches of 20,000 people, we need more churches on street corners. Why? Because we need more light piercing the darkness that is in our society. We need more people shining their light because the light that is in Christ cannot be overcome. Light overcomes darkness. Now I love what this verse highlights because uh, the life that is spoken of here is not the bios life, it's not the physical life, it's, it's the Greek word zoe which means it's life as God has it, it's, a, it's eternal life. It's, uh, does anybody know the history behind the Christmas tree? Oh good, I know something this morning. Well, the history behind the Christmas tree is basically this. We, we put up our Christmas tree in winter, uh, basically for the Northern Hemisphere, those that, that are in winter at the moment. And the reason is uh, most cultures, particularly in the first century, adopted the Christmas tree as a sign in winter of evergreen life. That's why we use evergreen trees. And so we put up a Christmas tree to speak of this life. If you're here and you're a Christian this morning, you've got evergreen life. That means no matter the seasons, you bud. That's amazing. No matter what happens around you, you remain green. Wow. In him was life. And, and, and the Christmas lights, the, the Christian tradition for the, Christian, uh, for the Christmas lights began with Martin Luther, who who took it a little bit st- further with the whole Christmas tree as he's walking through the village uh, streets with a Christmas tree, he put candles on it to exemplify that this is not only life, but this life is life. And my wife's currently in Tasmania with the rest of the convicts, but <laughs> rumour has it they're not going to let him out. Uh, but uh, my wife uh, loves to decorate and do Christmas and I got away with it this year because she's not back until Christmas Eve so I said, you know, I'm not going to have time to put the Christmas tree up but if it's all the same I'll chuck some tinsel over the clothes horse and uh, (laughs) and shove some presents under the clothes horse if it's all the same take some photos maybe or, or something but there'll be no tree in our house but there is life in our house, praise God there's a life that this world can't snuff out Praise his wonderful name. Verse 6, There was. if you want to know what the Christian life should look like, look at this guy that he talks about now. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. That's our job now, to bear witness about the light. We're not the light, but he came to bear witness. That all men might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, John uses the word true, Jesus uses the word true, speaks of a genuineness. Jesus said in John chapter 15, I am the true vine, which means people are clambering through life, looking to draw sustenance from many other sources, but I am the true life and I am the true light. Which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Same today. Can I press the pause button when we get to that verse? And yet the world did not know him. And the question that comes to every Christian this morning is, what are we doing to make him known? It's interesting, you know, you go outside of these walls. I have conversations with people all the time. And and you can talk about God to non-Christian people all you like. Yeah, I believe in God. And, and for a lot of people, that means I believe in this kind of distant cosmic force that kind of just chucked the world into being uh, millions of years ago or thousands of years ago. Depends on whether you've got tomatoes or not. But, uh, but at the end of the day, the problem becomes when you bring Jesus into the conversation. Because the minute you bring Jesus into, con- into the conversation, this God that's a million miles away is all of a sudden right in our face and we have implications. Because what we see in the person of Jesus, what we see in the message of the gospel, what we see in this wonderful saviour, God that stepped into humanity, what we see is God reaching out his hand. And the minute we have a conversation about Jesus, you either slap his hand away or you take it. There's, There's no third option there. And so there's implications. Jesus brings implications. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, speaking about the religious people of the day, and his own people did not receive him. I love this but, Terry. This one's a huge one. Verse 12, but, which means we're now switching. There's a huge contrast going on now. And I love these next verses. We've, we've pretty much got through the, the, the rough and tumble this morning. Now we're moving on to... All, there should be some amens coming when we go through these passages. Listen to this, but... To all who did receive him and who believed in his name. By the way, those words are used interchangeably. They mean the same thing. And they don't mean a three-sentence prayer of forgive me, Jesus, now I'm going to run out and do what I want for the rest of my life. That's not what, Paul, that's not what John meant here. What John meant when he used the word believe was a life of faithfulness cast in full trust and reliance. It's a verb. This is not a five minute decision. This is not something you do just on Sundays. This is something that consumes your life. But to all who did receive him and who believed in his name, he gave the right. Wow. He gave the right. He gave the power. He gave you the authority to become children of God. Wow. What, not servants? No, no, no. Not servants. Servants are in the house, but there's no relationship. You're a child. If we haven't got a reason to be merry at Christmas time, yeah. just reading these words, what can the world take away from you today? Nothing. It, the question that comes is, if everything you own and possess is taken away from you, in Jesus, do you still have everything? Yes. Amen. And Romans 8 teaches us that nobody can take him away from you. Security. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right, the power and the authority to become children of God. Or if you read the pastor's comments this morning, for the three people that did, thank you. If you read the pastor's comments this morning, uh, it is uh, the son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. 2,000 years ago, God became Amen. He came near to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but you are born of God. Wow. You can't manufacture this. We've got the best gift in the world and we can't manufacture it. The irony of the gospel that John wants us to know, in that word believe and that word receive, there's an irony when it comes to Christianity. Uh, the message of the gospel is this, salvation is 100% absolutely free for those that are working through Romans with us. There's actually, there's nothing you could do anyway to earn salvation. So it's absolutely free, but here's the, here's the contrast, it'll cost you everything. When I finish today, the the Gospels paint an absolute picture that there are three responses to Jesus, only three. In all of the Gospels, every single person that encounters Christ reacts to him in only three ways. We'll cover them because I want to ask which one would be you today. I love verse 14. This is where we get to the crux of what I want to speak about today. Verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh. Whoa. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that word dwelt means that he tented or he tabernacled. And it is a direct reference to when Israel were in the wilderness. It's the same word when they were in the wilderness and they were in the camp and the presence of God was in the tabernacle. It's the localized presence of God. Jesus walked this earth and many men didn't even know who he was. Isaiah 53 tells us, you wouldn't even recognize him. But three men went up on a mountain with him. That was Peter, James and John. And those three men said, we saw a completely different Jesus to the rest of you. We saw a transfigured Jesus. We saw the curtain pulled back. And we saw his glory. And each one of them will tell you to change their lives. The word became flesh. That means that God came near. There was a point in history, the point in history, when a little baby, everybody was expecting. Everybody that was reading the prophecies, by the way, all of the Jews, they were expecting some great big soldier riding in on a horse. They were expecting an earthly kingdom. They were expecting to overthrow Rome. Nobody expected a baby. They expected him to be born in the temple, maybe amongst the king somewhere. No, no, no. Just like our God to come in a stable. Just like our God to come at a time when there was no room for him in the inn. Everybody was heading for the beach and everything was booked out. The word became flesh. And at that moment, a baby, the God man, stepped into all of our vulnerability. All of a sudden, he's reliant. All of a sudden, he gets hungry as well. All of a sudden, he gets tired. All of a sudden, he gets tempted. Just as all of us, he suffers in all of our place. John says, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John, John the Baptist, bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness... Anybody go to the beach? Anyway, if you're if you any Queensland and you haven't been to the beach, uh, just hold that thought for a moment because in verse 16 it says, And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And in the Greek, that is speaking of a limitless grace. you ever been to the beach and the waves just keep coming? That's exactly what that phrase there means. His grace, 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 grace. I messed up. I've done it again. I slipped. I tripped, I said those bad words about the pastor, I put that name on that sheep. (laughs) And God says, from the fullness of Christ, you just keep receiving grace. What What a beautiful gift. What, you mean I don't have to earn this? No, no, no. You see, every other religion in the world paints a picture of man striving after God only and only in Christianity is it the other way around. The whole Bible paints a picture of God striving after the hearts of man. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ and thank you, Father, for that. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God, was at the Father's side, Jesus, or he, has made him known. This morning, we speak about Christmas, we speak about a point in history when God came near. We speak about the moment that Jesus made him known. You ever wondered, you ever wondered how much God loves you? Just cast your mind to the cross. You ever wondered whether God accepts Everybody, ask Zacchaeus. Ask Mary the process. ask the woman at the world, first evangelist, by the way. <laughs> ask the woman of the world that had at least five men in her life. Ask Mary, the, the one that poured the oil all over his feet. The one that Jesus said to those whom have been forgiven much, they give much. That Mary, she'd been forgiven a lot. Do you want to know? whether Jesus loves you, read the Gospels. There was a point in history when God came near, there was a point 2,000 years ago when Jesus stepped into our world so that he could offer us the opportunity to step into his world. I'm going to ask the worship team if they can get ready. We're going to sing a song to finish this morning. But as I bring this to a close, there's, there's three responses Throughout the Gospels. First one was, for those that encountered Christ, some were deeply afraid of him and ran away or hid themselves. One example of that is Peter in the boat. Cast your net on the right-hand side. I've tried both sides of my kayak, and Lord, you've still got to bless Reuben because you can't catch any fish. But, but, but they, haul in, they haul in so many fish... That Peter looks at Jesus and says, Away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Wow. The second response so, the first one is people that encountered Christ, they were deeply afraid of him and they wanted to run and hide or they hid themselves. Second one was they hated him and wanted to kill him. Read John chapter 8, John chapter 9, John chapter 10, John chapter 11. In fact, the Pharisees, by the time we get to the end of John chapter 11, the Pharisees are like, we, we not only have to knock off Jesus, we're going to knock off Lazarus as well, because he's running around telling everybody that he was raised from the dead. And the third one was, the one that John highlights, the one that we see in 11 of the disciples, is that they were completely and utterly besotted with him and cast the fullness of their life on him. So many people today try to get a mix of between one and three. There is no middle ground here. There's no, there is nowhere in the Gospels that anybody encountered Christ and they responded to him in a half-hearted manner. None. There was nobody that encountered this, this God that had come near. None. None that encountered him and then said, you know what? I'll catch up with you. I've just got a bit to do. And I'll catch you. And none of them said, you know what, I want you to be a part of my life, but I want you to be one of those back rooms down near the cleaning closet. Jesus doesn't want to be a room in your life. Jesus does not want to be a carriage on your train. He wants to be the engine. Jesus doesn't want to be a room in your house. We're good at dividing our lives up now, aren't we? You have a look right now. People are dividing their lives up and their priorities right now. We have a part of our life for work, and a part of our life for family, and a part of our life for fishing. And if you don't have that part, you're not wholly right. But and a part of our life for fishing, and we've got this little part over here for God. Jesus, nobody, nobody responded to Jesus that way. Everybody, every one of them said, You're the house. And we'll divide up our work and we'll divide up our family and we'll divide up our our fishing and whatever else it is, we'll divide that up. But we want you to be the house, Jesus. We want all of our life to be all about you. Because all of your life was about us. From the moment he cried, he took his first breath, he was suffering. Far better at the Father's side than here with us. So many people speak about the Lord's passion week. 33 years. 33 years he stepped into our suffering. 33 years he stepped away from the most glorious place in the universe. Be with us. And the question I have for everyone this morning is what's your response? This Christmas time, which one of those three responses best describes you? Let's pray. Father, loving Saviour, 2,000 years ago, you stepped into our world and I pray that, Lord, let us come near. Draw us near this year, I pray. So easy for Christmas to become about everything and anything else apart from the one that came near to us. We are so thankful for salvation. Yes. We are so thankful for your blood that cleanses. Thank you, Jesus. We're so thankful for the righteousness. We're so thankful that we stand in a grace that is absolutely limitless. There are no boundaries and no limits to your grace. It just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. None of us deserve any attention from you, but you give us all of your attention. I pray this day, Lord, for your blessing, and that you would draw each one to respond to you with complete and utter surrender to Christ. In your wonderful name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.